0: Our gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our minds and hearts now to grasp something of the wonder and the greatness of what you have done in sending your Son, our Lord Jesus, into the world to save his people. Our Father, we pray that we would know the wonder and the glory of this gift of your Son and his gift to us of inclusion in your family that we would know this for ourselves and knowing it, our lives will be marked with joy and love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as a society, uh, we make a big deal about what many now call the holiday season or, according to Stonington Council, the season to make merry. And we do that for all sorts of reasons. It's a welcome relief at the end of a busy school year. It's commercially important that people spend up big in celebrating, and it is good, isn't it, to have time where, even if briefly, everything stops so that families can be together. And this last is the focus of the holiday for many. All the family, three generations, or at least that's the way it is in the ads, enjoying the special food, the cricket in the backyard, Time at the beach or the backyard pool. And those who publicly campaign to call this time of year the holiday season, not Christmas, do it, so they say, so that no one is excluded, especially by religious belief from the joy of the season. Uh, But here's the thing. All those things, some good in themselves that become the focus of this time when the coming of Jesus into the world as the saviour of the world is excluded as a cause for celebration. All those things themselves exclude. The commercial push to spend, the emphasis on showing love by giving expensive gifts exclude the poor, those who have no money to spare. And not all get a break at this time, and some only the briefest of pauses. Those who work in hospitality will be serving Christmas lunches. Those in retail will be dealing with the crowds on Boxing Day. Some won't be joining their families at Christmas because they're rostered on in our hospitals or they're seeking to bring some cheer to the residents of our nursing homes or they're on duty in the emergency services. And not all have families or families they enjoy being around. And the pictures of happy families just emphasise their lack. For some, Christmas will be a time of grief and aching loss or dread of conflict or lonely regret. Some are always left out of the joys of the holiday season. Now, as a church, we make a big deal, not of the holiday season, good as a break is, We make a big deal of Christmas, of the birth of Christ, the Lord Jesus. I mean, after the Christmas concert, the Christmas carols, the advertising of our Christmas services, Christmas is pretty hard to miss here. And we do that because what we celebrate includes, not excludes. It can be a cause of joy for poor and rich, for those who have to work and for those who rest, for those whose families are together or for those who mourn their lack of family. And this is a joy that endures beyond the holiday, endures forever without any credit card to pay off, without indigestion and without regret. Now, why do I say that? Uh, If you're unfamiliar with the Christian message, you can sometimes wonder. I mean, there's a lot going on at Christmas, carols, feasting, getting together, gifts. And you can see it's a big deal for Christians, but If you're unfamiliar with the message, you may not be sure why. And if you're a believer, and especially if you are incredibly busy this time of year, you know, trying to finish things off at work, getting those presents, planning the family meal, even for you, the why can sometimes slip into the background. But the birth of Jesus is a big deal, bringing an enduring joy that can include all. And the reason, the why, is found in the middle of our passage. This great passage from John 1 announcing the coming of the eternal word who is God and with God into our world, taking on our flesh. And John says he was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognise him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Now Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal words coming into our world, <coughs> the world created through him. His coming to his own, the Jewish people, wasn't welcomed by all. But the gospel says his coming gives those who receive and that is who welcome his coming, who believe in his name, the right to become and be children of God. Works a change in their status so that they are now the living God's children. Now why is that such a big deal? Why is it so good to be children of God? And it really is a big deal. So So if it's such a big deal, how do we become children of God? That is, can it be a big deal for us? Now, John doesn't tell us in this introduction to the gospel why being given the right to be the children of God is such a good thing. And he doesn't tell us because, well, this introduction to the gospel has one overriding purpose. It's to make you want to read on to read what follows in the gospel. And actually we see that in the next verse where John makes an astounding claim. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we observed his glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And you hear that, we observed. And you meant by the time you get to verse 18, the end of this introduction, to be thinking, now now what did they see and hear? that made them think they'd seen the glory of God in Jesus because it's a remarkable claim. I want to know. Tell me. And this promise of becoming children of God serves that same purpose, to make you want to know, to make you want to read on in what follows John's witness to Jesus. And it does serve that purpose, doesn't it? Because we're all born into families. Now not all our families are perfect and for some of us our time in our birth family may have been painfully very short. But even for those of us who feel the lack of family, we know families are meant to be places of nurture and belonging, of support and help. That's why some of us feel the disappointment of our family not being that kind of family so cleanly. So when we hear we can be children of God, belong to the family of God, Well, we're a little interested, interested in knowing whether we can know the help, protection, prospects of being in a family that we sense will have no shortcomings. And what is true for us is even more true for the first hearers. You see, we rely on the state for a lot of help, don't we? But when John was writing, there was no social welfare, no state support you could rely on. Your security and prosperity depended on your family. It was the family who provided for you when you were sick or old. It was your family that gave you your status and place in society. It was the foundation of your social identity. Oh, it was in your family that you learned your trade. It was the major source of education and training for most people. It was the family that gave you life sustained and protected your life, enriched your life, and without your family you were very vulnerable to poverty, abuse, exploitation. And here is John saying there is opportunity to belong to the family of God, God who by definition is so much more powerful and wealthy than any human father, whose family will never have any shortage of resources. And that thought, as you digested it, would actually make you want to read on to learn more about what it would belong, what it would mean to belong to God's family, more about who can belong and how we can belong. And so to understand this morning the privilege of being children of God, why it's the best thing that could happen to you and I And so why Jesus coming into the world is such a big deal for us. We're going to read on to see what's highlighted not just in the gospel but in John's letters as well about being God's children. So firstly, John speaks of the relationship between God the Father and those who are his children by believing in Jesus as one characterised by love and free access to our Father. Later in the Gospel, Jesus says to his disciples, those who believe in him, on that day you will ask in my name. This is the day after his resurrection and ascension. I'm not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Hear that? God's children are loved by God and they can come confidently to him on Jesus' authority. And John, writing many new years later, knew that love, could marvel at that love, see what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. Now that love is immense and it is also Sure, for we come to know this love through the way God makes it possible for us to become God's children, through the death of his son for our sins. This is what John says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now that is a great love. And where our sin, our rebellion against God is atoned for, covered over so that God no longer sees it, nothing remains to separate us from God's love forever. When you believe the gospel that Christ has died for your sins, you are confessing that you have been loved by the eternal, holy, almighty God. And that's where believers start, wondering at the great love the Father has given us. And because that's where we start, we can actually often sometimes take it for granted. So just pause for a moment to think about what it is to be in a family where the children are the children of the God who loves like this, who will give his son for us. Because we can't just read this love off our experience of our earthly families. I mean, human fathers come in all sorts of shapes and sizes and none of us are perfect. And some are very disappointing, even destructive. But God our Father is not like that. He is completely reliable. He never over-promises and under-delivers and so disappoints. He is almighty. Nothing can stop him from giving his children what he has promised. And he is never selfish, never manipulative, never irritable. He is kind and gracious and wise. And so he never expects of his children what is not the best for them. And he's never ignorant of them or their needs or forgetful of them and never at a loss as to how to help. And his children can always approach him with their concerns and needs. And his love never runs out. Nothing can separate us from his love. And it's no wonder then that Paul, speaking of this love, can say that whatever happens, we are more than conquerors. In the end, we are the winners through him who loved us. To be the children of this father is to be never alone, never abandoned, always loved with a love that secures us forever. It is good to be children of this father. And as his children, our father's home is always open to us. And this brings us to the second aspect of being God's child that's highlighted in the gospel, and that is hope. There is always, says our Lord, room for us in our father's house. Don't let your heart be troubled, he says. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. God's children have hope of living in the presence of the living God forever. In fact, this hope is highlighted in John's Gospel where our Lord speaks in John 3 at greater length of what it is to be born of God. Speaking to the religious leader, Nicodemus, he says, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus doesn't understand it, so Jesus repeats, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The great gift given to those who are born of God is that they will see the kingdom of God. They are those who will live in God's presence in the new heaven and earth where all the promises of God will be fulfilled. They are those who will enjoy what our Lord calls eternal life, which is the life of the age to come. It's this hope John speaks of when he says, Dear friends, we are God's children now and what we will be is not yet being revealed. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. We will be like him. Now that's a phrase to sear into your memories if you're a believer and it carries an immense hope. God's children will share in the resurrection life of the Son of God so transformed that we can be in the presence of see the living holy God and know all his beauty and goodness. And then there will be no death, no imperfection of body or soul, no frailty or pain, no sin. Now think of that. Good as getting together uh, at Christmas is. Every family gathering is for those who are old enough about who is not there as well as who is there. That's right. Each gathering, year after year, refreshing the accumulating memory of loss. You see, I thank God that I'll see my children and grandchildren at Christmas, but I won't see my parents or grandparents, people who have loved me and whom I love. And people I saw every Christmas. And for some, that grief will be even more acute grief for lost husbands or wives or children. And it's not just death that lurks in the shadows at the borders of our Christmas celebrations, there's its advance guard sickness, weakness, frailty whether that's felt gently in the generational change of who organises and hosts the Christmas meal or in moving to be the scorer and not the player in the backyard cricket, whether it's felt gently or painfully in the family visit to the nursing home. These are all signs of the loss that is to come. But while those in God's family know like all this grief and frailty in this life. They also know it is not final. Death is not the last word for the children of God. Those who are God's children have an eternal hope and that is so precious, isn't it? And it's a sure hope because Jesus is risen. Yes, we feel the loss but we look forward knowing that the best is yet to come. Being like the Lord Jesus, we will be like him. To be God's children is to have a secure present, kept by our almighty Father's love and a secure future, raised by God's power. And in this world, a world of broken promises and death, that is a big And those who are God's children know not only a secure present but a transformed present as the spirit of God bears the family likeness in God's children. Now here, children, is a fact you may not want to know but most of us end up more like our parents or grandparents than perhaps we might wish. You know, whether it's in voice or looks or mannerism. In fact, for the older generation, it's a kind of sport. You know, you sit around watching the grandchildren or going through childhood photos and saying, she looks so much like. Or hasn't he got his grandfather's, and I'd like to say eyes, but they're probably going to say temper, right? And, and, and these likenesses often become more and more obvious with the passing years. The family likeness reproduced over generations. Well, God, through his gift of new birth, reproduces the family likeness in his children. It's not that we become almighty or All wise, for we remain creatures, not God. But by his spirit, we can become like him in character. Now, John speaks a lot about this in his letter. So John 2:29. if you know that he is righteous, you know this as well, everyone who does what is right, has been born of God. Those born of God do what's right and doing what is right is not just doing this right thing or that right thing. It's actually practising righteousness, living in conformity to the covenant relationship with God, a a relationship characterised by justice, righteousness and faithfulness. And then John goes on in verse 3 of chapter 3 to say, And everyone who has this hope, that is his children who hope that they'll be like Christ, purify themselves just as he is pure. That is, they turn away from being a mix of right and wrong. They don't tolerate lovelessness and selfishness and hate and unrighteousness in their lives anymore. They turn away from that to live lives that consistently embrace what God says is right. They develop godly character. And above all, They grow in living a life of love by loving God and keeping his commandments. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And he continues, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey his commands. The new life shows
1: in a growing family
0: likeness, in practising righteousness, pursuing purity and living that life of love. The new life God gives to his children is good in itself but also it creates now a community, a family of believers whose relationships are characterised by righteousness and love and that is good to be in that kind of community. And a community where hope for change is always there, where it doesn't all depend on us but on the work of God in us, in the life of God which he has planted in his children. It is good to be God's children. It's to be loved by the eternal God as your father, a steadfast love experienced every day in all things from which nothing can separate us. It is to have a forever hope, a rich hope, not of existing somehow or other after death, but of life like Christ's. And it's to know present change and growth, to share in the character of God's family. To know Jesus came so we could be God's children, that really is a cause of joy. But how do people like us, frail, mortal, sinful, become God's children? Well, God tells us here in the Gospel, to all who received him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who are born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. He gave. And so firstly we become God's children by God's gift, given by God's Son Jesus. And, of course, it could only be that way. You can't earn your way even into a human family. You know, walking up to Rupert Murdoch and saying, G'day, Dad, I've decided to become your son or daughter and take a share in the family fortune. That probably just wouldn't work. Sharing in the life of a family is always the gift of the parents. It originates with them. Let's face it, none of you applied to belong to your own family put down your qualifications, persuaded your parents what a marvellous addition you would be, gave examples to them of how you would enhance the family reputation and were then received into the family either as a reward for demonstrated achievement or on the promise of prizes yet to be won. That's, That's not how you came to be in your family, is it? The initiative was with them. In God's family the life of God's family originates with God. God's children are born of God. Or in the words of John 3, they are born of water and the Spirit, of forgiveness and a new Spirit-given life. Truly, I tell you, unless someone's born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of Spirit is spirit Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. To belong to God's family, you must be born of the Spirit and the Spirit of God is sovereign and free in bringing that life, not controlled by us, just as the wind is not controlled by us. Belonging to God's family is God's gift. And God says we receive this gift and new birth by faith, by believing in Jesus. Those who receive him, who welcome the word come to his own, are those who believe in his name. Now the name's not just a label attached to someone, as it is often for us. The name stands for the person, the person as he's revealed himself and so the person who can be known and called upon. To believe in the name of the word come to his own is to believe in Jesus, the eternal word become flesh, to believe in him as he has revealed himself to be the one and only, the unique son of God sent from the father. And this believing in Jesus is not only to believe what Jesus said about himself or the facts the gospel records about his life, death and resurrection. This believing is to entrust yourself to him, to put your life in Jesus' hands as the son of God by doing what he says, living the way he commands. And believers Do this, knowing the cost, knowing that Jesus said that if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Believers do this because they know that because being born of God is God's gift, it is a sure and certain gift. It's sure as it depends on God who does not change, who always does what he wills. God gives what only he can give, the right to be his child, And he can give it to all he wishes. It depends solely on him. So when John says to believers, see what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, he adds, and that is what we are. And then he's emphatic in verse 2. Dear friends, despite what appearances may be, we are God's children now though we know our unworthiness, though we know that there's nothing in us that deserves this privilege, though circumstances might seem to deny it, believers in Jesus should not suffer from imposter syndrome. Depending on God, who sent his son into the world to die for our sins, this gift is sure, secured for us by the death of Jesus. Believers are God's children and now. (coughs) And because being born of God is God's gift to be received by faith, it's actually open to all people, all who believe. And verse 13 of John 1 emphasises that, that this birth is not dependent on any human factor. God's children are born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Now, in those three phrases, John's canvassing all the ways people at that time thought the event of a birth had its origin. Natural descent is literally of bloods because some thought procreation involved mixing bloods and that the bloodline determined the family you're in. Others, that birth had its origin in human desire or in the decision of a father. No, says John, this birth doesn't have its origin in any way that birth into a human family has its origin. And that means birth as God's children isn't the exclusive privilege of any human grouping, any family, any nationality. It doesn't depend on any inherited human characteristic. Oh, we don't even receive this birth by being born to Christian parents. This birth happens for all exactly the same way. It is the gift of God given to those who believe in the Lord Jesus, who receive him as he is, the eternal Son of God, through whom the world was made, the rightful ruler of over all, the only Saviour. And actually, because it's God's gift to be received by faith, that means This gift of being God's children is as available to all of us today as it was to those who walked and talked with the Lord Jesus. For we have the gospel, the witness of those who saw his glory and have shared what they saw and heard with us so that we too can believe in Jesus. And... This birth then is available to us no matter what our human family is like, whether it's happy and harmonious or sad and dysfunctional. It's available to us, whatever our education, ethnicity or wealth, it's available to you through faith in the Lord Jesus. You see, there is something to celebrate in the coming of Jesus, isn't there? The Lord Jesus giving to all who received him, who believed in his name, the right to be children of God. And this is a cause of enduring joy. For those who are God's children now through faith in Jesus are God's children forever. Forever know his love. Forever share in the life of the age to come. Forever come to share the family likeness. And this joy at the birth of Jesus is open to all all who believe, whether you're working on Christmas or in hospital, whether you receive lots of presents or none, whether the family get-together happens or not is a cause of pain or a source of happiness, whether the world is at peace or at war, wherever you are, whatever your circumstances, race, nationality, believing in Jesus, you are included in joy and joy at his birth forever. Well, I don't know what your Christmas will be like. We've seen a lot of Christmas recently, celebrations mixed with tears. But whatever happens, believer, rejoice that to all who receive our Lord Jesus, to every one of us who trusts him, God has given us the right to be his children, and we are. And with that birth from God through faith in his son, we have a forever love. The Father himself loves you. A sure and wonderful hope we will be like him. And yes, we can know now the life of God's children, in changing to show the family likeness and life forever. And that's great good news, isn't it? Joy for us all. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you will give us such delight in the birth of your Son that it would overflow in our words and actions this Christmas. We pray that convicting us that Jesus born in the stable is the Christ, the one who has saved his people through his death for sin and rising again, we would know joy forever. Help us to find time to reflect on being loved by you, the eternal God, to reflect on the wonder of the hope that is held out for us, that we will be like Jesus. And knowing this, renew us in our determination to live as your children now, those who practise righteousness, those who pursue purity, and those who are marked by love, for our brothers and sisters and for all. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.